Amen. Okay. Let's begin. title today is Be Filled with the Holy Spirit, or just Be Filled with the Spirit. Having received the Holy Spirit, we're to to go on being filled with the Spirit. The scripture we'll look at in a while says literally, be, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continuous present instruction. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, you need to use the language of being filled wisely, though the Holy Spirit is compared in Scripture to wind, oil, even contrasted to alcoholic drink. He is a divine person, the third person of the Godhead. We mustn't let that imagery deflect us from that truth. We must be careful not to let our imaginations run wild sometimes, go beyond Scripture. But the word pictures of Scripture are there to help us to see something and to understand something. We took quite a run through the book of Acts last Sunday, observing a series of occasions in which different people received the Holy Spirit for the first time, in other words, were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I pointed out that Jesus himself uses, used both those phrases interchangeably. The common sign of those people having received the Spirit was to speak in another unknown language or to prophesy. They spoke with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not from natural capability. So let's move on. Some weeks, if not a couple of months after the day of Pentecost, this happened. Peter and John went up to the temple to pray. There's a lame man at the gate and they're moved by God to pray for him and to bring healing to him. And he jumps up and he's praising God and, and then all sorts of trouble breaks loose. You know, you can, sometimes trouble happens even after really good things. It doesn't in the kingdom of God. So the Jerusalem council arrested the apostles, Peter and John, questioned them and then ordered them not to speak or teach any more in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John replied they could not promise to obey that command. Amen. Whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, but we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. So the council threatened them on punishment and so on, and then released them. And this is what happened next. We're going into Acts 4. When they had released them, Peter and John went back to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage? This is Psalm 2. And the peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And then they come back to their prayer. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, that's the Romans, and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants, your slaves, may speak your word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were, had had gathered together, was shaken, like a, a localized earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. But I'm going to read on. 
And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. Let me make the point here. Whilst the church in Jerusalem had grown, people were being added day by day to the church in Jerusalem. Many of the people who were in that prayer meeting were people who had been there on the day of Pentecost. The first 120 and then the next 3,000 were people who had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. They had received the Holy Spirit, but at this meeting they were filled again with the Holy Spirit. A shaken building, a refilled people. What was the outcome? Two, really. One, boldness and authority. The preaching of the gospel went on with healings and signs and wonders in the name of Jesus, despite the threats of the Jerusalem authorities. They needed boldness to overcome the threat. But also, note point two, grace and generosity was at work in that church. Acts 4 ends the same way that Acts 2 does, that you see there is... There is servanthood, there is humility, there is love, there is generosity. In other words, there's a work of grace. Great grace was upon them all. And you read that again further down in the book of Acts. And great grace was upon them. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. When the church in Jerusalem in Acts 6 needed leaders for the Greek-speaking members of the congregation, here was their job description. Find some men from among you who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. It was a characteristic of those men. You you knew them to be spirit-filled men, the way they behaved, the way they lived. But two of those men very quickly turned out to be remarkable men of faith. Stephen was a man full of grace and power, and he was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And the authorities eventually got hold of him as well under false accusations. And Peter stands before them, knowing his life is at risk, and he answers them with great boldness, huge courage, tells them from the scriptures about the... You know, that God has sent all the prophets, he's now sent his son, and you've done the same thing with him you did with them. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon Stephen even more, and he, he opens his eyes, and he sees heaven and the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And as he describes what he's seeing, the Jerusalem authorities cover their ears and rush him out and stone him to death. Philip, amongst those seven Greek-speaking men, was uh, an evangelist. And we read of him going to Samaria, gathering people to faith in Jesus there. And then the Spirit directs him to go south to a certain road between Jerusalem and Gaza. There he meets up with an Ethiopian eunuch and leads him to faith in Jesus. Interestingly, there's a very ancient church in Ethiopia. Their traditions and rituals are very, very different from anywhere else in the world. Just maybe that Ethiopian started that church. That Ethiopian eunuch. But as soon as he's finished speaking to the eunuch, we read in the book of Acts, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away and he found himself at Azotus. Now you can try and explain that away, but it seems to me you're trying to make, you know, a gold ring out of a pig's ear. That literally says the Spirit snatched him and he found himself somewhere else. 
He said, oh, I'm not there anymore, I'm here. That was a remarkable miracle that the Holy Spirit did with Philip. Later we read that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and the faith. And that Barnabas was the one who brought Saul from sort of exile in Tarsus to Antioch, who became in turn the great apostle to the Gentiles. But even those men, Peter, John, Stephen, Barnabas, Paul, who were men who were generally filled with the Holy Spirit, it was characteristic of them, knew particular times when the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them and equipped them, particularly times of crisis and challenge. So in them was fulfilled what Jesus said, when you stand before authorities who are threatening you, do not be afraid. In that moment it will be given you what to say. That actually happened to them because the Holy Spirit at that moment came upon them and equipped them and empowered them. So the book of Acts records for us people who are initially filled with the Holy Spirit, they receive the Spirit, they're baptized with the Spirit, those words are synonymous. It then records for us those same people being filled again at further times so that some of them were noted for leading particularly Spirit-filled lives. But also, those same people could, at particular times of crisis and challenge, have the Holy Spirit come upon them to give them, in that hour, particular wisdom, courage, inspiration, faith. So filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts is used in all of those ways. Now listen now to this instruction in Ephesians. Ephesians 5. Therefore be careful how you walk. That's how you live. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is the will of the Lord? We'll get to it. Next verse. I want to know the will of God. You can know the will of God right now, right here today. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, songs of the Spirit, in other words. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is contrasted to being drunk with wine. The Holy Spirit brings real joy and no hangover. A man may have his fill of drink, but he'll be no better, but the worse for it. The same is true for all narcotic and psychotic substances. The immediate effect may be pleasurable, but the after effects certainly are not. But to be filled with the Spirit can only lead to our good, our fulfillment in God, and the good of others. It's good for us and good for everybody else. Be filled with the Spirit. That, my friends, is not a suggestion or a recommendation. It's an instruction. It's a command. And it applies to every single one of us. It's like, it'd be quite a nice idea, you know. No, it's like, you need to do this. We need to do this. It's the will of God. It's what he intends for us. I said last week that the words of the Lord Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit seemed to me to have the weight of a prophetic word. The word of the Lord to Lighthouse, the, what the Spirit was saying at this time to the church. Today I want to bring the same weight to these words. 
The Holy Spirit in Scripture says to us, be filled with the Spirit. If you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to Lighthouse Church today. Now that command is, of course, a personal command. We each need to be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2 and Acts 4, a whole room full of people were filled with the Spirit, but each of them was filled with the Spirit. You can be in the room, but not be in it. Each of them was filled with the Spirit. And it doesn't say some of you. You know, some of you need to be the spiritual ones, the elite, the anointed, or the clergy. This is addressed to every Christian. It's also a corporate command. It's addressed to us together. Most Christians around the world have been taught for the past couple of centuries to think individually and hardly ever corporately. But this instruction here in the King James is be filled with the Spirit speaking to yourselves. And the, Why do I quote the King James? Because the King James is really nifty. It uses old-fashioned, very formal English. And when it's speaking to an individual, it says, thee, thou, thine. But when it says you, yours, it's all. You all. And it's a very notable difference in the King James Version when you do that. Speak to one another. All of you together be filled with the Spirit. This is a together command. We're instructed both personally and collectively to be filled with the Spirit. It's not enough to be in a Spirit-filled room or meeting. God wants to fill all his children with his Holy Spirit. It's the promise and gift of the Father. And the Holy Spirit is himself God's promise and gift to us. What is it to be filled with the Spirit? Well, if you've ever been filled with the Spirit and you've received the Spirit, then you know what that was like. And it may well be feel more of the same again. We sense His presence. We feel His coming upon us. We feel something... The, 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 the word glory in Hebrew is kabod, which also means weight. How many of you have ever felt the weight of God's presence? It's like... It's like <gasps> It's like the air gets heavy, you know? It's like, it's like you, you, you start to be scared to breathe almost. The sense of God's presence, the weight of his presence. We feel he's coming upon us. We're quickened, we feel alive. We're empowered and equipped. We're moved, we're inspired. We sense again, as we did earlier, the love, the joy, the peace of God. And then we're inspired by the Holy Spirit, again, to speak in an unlearned language or to prophesy. But then, to be filled with the Spirit is to carry away from those moments new resources of grace, of authority, of equipping. We are encouraged by the Spirit. We're led and motivated by the Spirit. We're emboldened by the Spirit. We're equipped by Him. We go and do life in and with the Spirit. And I think next, next Sunday's sermon will be Life in the Spirit. We'll go to Romans and look at life in the Spirit. One baptism in the Spirit, but many fillings. You can't be born again again. But you can be filled with the Spirit again and again and again and again. In fact, no one is ever so filled they don't need to be refilled. And I'm not going to say something silly like we leak. But Scripture does compare us to vessels that, gets, that we get poured out and we need to be poured back into. When you give out to people, hey, there's a reason why a lot of preachers and pastors take Monday off, because you've given out so much on a Sunday, you're like, whoa. 
Preachers say, don't make, don't make big decisions on a Monday, you'll make a bad one. They even talk about having Monday blues, you know. It's like, you know, Elijah on the prophets of Baal and, wah! Next thing, I'm just running for his life because a woman threatened him. Well, she was the queen, but... There's a, there's, there's a pouring out and then you, you need to be poured back into. The vessel gets drained. Scripture compares us to that kind of vessel. We know even in our, in our own physical being, we grow weary and we need rest and refreshment. We need times of being renewed and refreshed by the Holy Spirit, individually and together. Then there are those moments when we particularly need the presence and help of the Holy Spirit. If you're standing there giving account of yourself with false accusers telling lies about you and you're about to speak up and your life depends upon it guess what you need the holy spirit and you're believing the promise of jesus you said you'd give me what to say at this moment Lord. we're given faith in moments of challenge to pray for the healing of sick people sick people we receive a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge that unlocks the situation we're going to be examining those, those equipping gifts of the spirit so that's what it's like to be filled with the spirit What is the effect or outcome? Well, to point you back again to Acts 2 and Acts 4. The result of people being filled with the Spirit is power, boldness, authority, but it's also grace, compassion, generosity, justice. Filled with the Holy Spirit, those Christians lived grace-filled and grace-fueled lives. And you can't manufacture that. You can't teach it and drum it up and say, next week we're doing it. It doesn't happen. It has to be fueled by the Holy Spirit. The real thing only happens through Him. He produces grace and humility and generosity and servanthood. And I think I can explain to you why that is the case. I'm going to turn you to 1 Corinthians 2. It's not an easy passage of Scripture. But I think what I need to say to you from it isn't too difficult. 1 Corinthians 2. It is written, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him in the kingdom to come. Yeah? For to us God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Imagine for a moment the Holy Spirit searching the very core of God's being. He knows his thoughts. The Spirit knows the Father's feelings. He searches the very depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. A bit more on that next week with Life in the Spirit. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. You notice those in italics, they're added to make sense of it. That is literally saying comparing the things of the spirit with the things of the spirit. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised or discerned through the Spirit. 
But he who is spiritual, that is, he who has the Spirit, appraises all things. Yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Please excuse my putting some things in brackets there to explain what that means. Some people talk about the heart of God and the heart of the Father. Now we know that God, the Father, does not have a physical heart beating in a ribcage. So what do we mean by that? We're talking about the core or depths of his inner being, his true nature. And Paul says here, the Holy Spirit searches the very inner being and core of God and brings it to us. The Spirit knows the inner thoughts of God. And so when the Holy Spirit is at work, God's nature and character begins to be expressed and seen in and through us. And in the heart of God, yes, there is love, but there is also justice. There is also uh, 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 um, um, judgment. There's sovereignty. There's wisdom. There's power. Love is one of the great attributes of God. It's the only way that God reveals himself to us in scriptures. But what is in God is communicated to us by the Holy Spirit when he's given to us and when he fills us. That is why when the Holy Spirit came upon the church in Jerusalem in Acts 2 and Acts 4, guess what? Great grace was upon them. Huge generosity was displayed because their hearts were fueled from the heart of God by the Holy Spirit. Think of what flows between the members of the Trinity. Love, humility, honour, service. The Father loves the Son. In fact, he's commanded the whole of creation to honour him. The Son loves and submits to the Father. And the Holy Spirit loves and submits to the Father and to the Son. So yes, the Holy Spirit fills us with authority and boldness to overcome our fears, to endure in faith, to witness to Jesus. But he also motivates us to justice and compassion and generosity and humility. and Because the heart of God reaches into us through the Holy Spirit. If we're filled with the Spirit of God, we begin to image God, to reflect His character. We are transformed by the Holy Spirit. That is exactly what we see in Acts 4, 2 and Acts 4. It's why Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 stuck out like we say a sore thumb. Two people conniving and deceiving when such huge grace was upon the church. God wasn't going to let that stay. He wasn't going to let that happen. The people filled with the Spirit are moved to extraordinary love and generosity and service, including supporting the poor. They were feeling and demonstrating the heart of God, we might say, because the Holy Spirit was putting God's thoughts into their minds and God's feelings into their hearts. Because the Holy Spirit searches even the very depths of God. If being filled with the Spirit does not affect how we handle other people and how we handle money, I question how much we've received of the Holy Spirit. To truly fulfill the Great Commission, we need great compassion too. We need to be filled with the heart and thoughts of God. When we're filled with the Spirit, we become what we're meant to be, 
real human beings, the people filled with God, hearing the voice of God, feeling the heart of God, both for us, I know you love me, and then through us for others, hey, you love them too. The love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's not love for God. It's the love of God so we know we're loved, but it's also love that becomes a deposit in us that we can show to other people. If you're moved by grace, you'll be gracious to other people. If you're receiving the love of God, you'll be loving to other people. Because it's the Holy Spirit who's doing it. In fact, I would say that these are the marks of the authentic work of the Holy Spirit. In each believer, as we looked at in John 14 to 17, in each believer, the Holy Spirit bleeds us to Jesus or brings Jesus to us and builds Jesus in us. So the work of the Holy Spirit in every one of us, whether you've been baptized in the Spirit or not, is that you are being fed by Christ and taught by Christ and formed to be like Christ. That's what Jesus taught us. In the Christian community, the work of the Holy Spirit is grace and peace, fellowship, servanthood, generosity, sacrifice. You can preach them and try and make them happen. You need God the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of grace. He makes that spread like you spread Marmite, if you like Marmite. <laughs> Shall I say jam instead on your toast? <laughs> Not Marmite. The Holy Spirit, if he's present, will spread grace. Like a scent, like a flavor, like an atmosphere. And in gospel witness, the Holy Spirit will give power. Power to be bold and to preach and to teach, but also power in signs and wonders and healings and so on. Why do I put those three in that order? I'll tell you why. Those first two are what Jesus himself called fruit. Character. Character. Fruit in an individual Christian and fruit in a community of people. The last one is what's called works. And you can do works for the wrong motive. And you'll be judged for that. And Paul even says that our works could be burned up on the last day. Because God searches our hearts. So what matters, what really matters for the long term is fruit. Jesus said fruit that lasts, fruit that remains. In fact, you'll be rewarded for fruit into eternity. That's why I put them as one and two. And by the way, Jesus didn't say signs and wonders will convince the world you're my disciples. Signs and wonders are good. They, 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 they shake a bell to call people's attention to the gospel. He said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples when you love one another. It's the sign of the presence of God amongst his people. God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, causing us to be, to, where can I help? Who can I serve? Who can, who can I do some good to today? And we learn that in the community of faith as Christians together and then we go and spill it over to the world. I, I, I am not going to seek the Holy Spirit for more power without also seeking for greater grace. It's the mark of the genuine work of the Spirit in the Church of Jesus. The children of God reflect His nature and His heart. Now let me put this into practical application. 
And I'm going quickly because I preached a long time last week. There wasn't time to pray. There wasn't time to break bread. That was my fault. So I've got my Go Faster stripes on today, okay? <laughs> like the old Ford Corsas and things, you know, Cortinas. There's a book on our shelves at home we've had for years that we bought a copy for our daughter. It's called Foods That Harm and Foods That Heal. And when that came to mind, I thought, why am I thinking of that? And the Lord said to me, why don't you just be simple and make, that, make two lists? So I did. What is harmful to us and what is helpful to us if we're going to be seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So in the harmful, it's harmful, it's unhelpful, it's unhealthy, it's unholy. Because it doesn't make us more like God, it doesn't honour God. All right? I'm not going to spend a long time on this list. It makes me feel a bit sick to go there, really. But First of all, what is harmful, unhelpful, and so on. Be proud and self-reliant. Go ahead. You won't receive anything from God. I can do it myself. Fine, go ahead. That's the answer of heaven sometimes. You can do it. We'll see. That's number one. Number two is not being disciplined, but disobedient, dissolute, and dishonouring the Lord and the Gospel. It takes discipline to live a good life. It does. Knowing what, what to do when you get up in the morning and how you spend your time and when you find time for Bible reading, when you find time for prayer. Uh, many of us have all sorts of disciplines. Few of us forget to clean our teeth or have a shower. So there are disciplines. The more discipline you can build into life, your, your life as a Christian, quite frankly, the better Christian you'll grow to be. Discipline really counts. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians. I would say by our attitudes, our actions, and also our associations. You hang up with people who are unholy and you're not having a very positive effect on them, they'll pull you down to their level. We can grieve the Holy Spirit by our associations as well as our own actions. The scripture says that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is not a temple. I'm so glad this wasn't called Kingsmore Christian Temple. I would have said, oh no. There are, Christ- there are churches, ch- church buildings called temples. I'm going, what don't you understand about scripture? Buildings aren't temples. We are temples. In fact, in scripture, two things are the temple of God. Me and us. The church. You as an individual Christian... And we together, as the family of God, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill me and us with his presence through the Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. But because we're temples of the Holy Spirit, we're not our own. We're bought with the blood of Christ and we're members of the body of Christ. So we're told to forsake sexual immorality and and other things because they are not honouring to this temple that God lives in. What we do with our bodies and our minds and our souls matters The presence of God with us and as the Lord Jesus promised in us should totally change how we live. I remind you again of those words from Ephesians 5. Therefore be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. For that is dissipation, but be filled 
with the Spirit. Here's a question for you. I'll ask it for all of us. You can answer it for yourself. What do we fill ourselves with instead of filling ourselves with the Holy Spirit, so to speak? What do we choose to fill our hearts with? What do we find our comfort in? What false joy do we pursue rather than pursuing real, true joy? Because we're always filling ourselves with something. Filling our time. Saw people at a party the other day. You can tell the, the younger ones aren't talking to one another. They're talking on the phone. We all fill ourselves with something. God's will for us is that we should be filled with the Spirit and live life to a degree that you would even dream of except that he is with you and in you. Let's talk about the helpful list. Helpful, healthy, holy. All right? Things that build us, things that are good for us. Worship by the Spirit. We read it in Ephesians. Worship by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another. Not speaking to yourself, speaking to yourselves. You do this in company. You can sing on your own, fine. But you need to be in company to do it. Let me have another plug on you. We do all our singing from 10 o'clock, folks. (laughs) Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Songs of the Spirit. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Jesus said the Father seeks those who will worship him in the Spirit and in truth. Paul writes that the mark of being a true Israelite is that they worship God by the Spirit. Spirit-filled people sing. Whenever there's renewals and revivals, there's whole new songs and hymns that come out of it. We sing, we have very few songs about the Holy Spirit in, in our current generation, which bothers me. Because I go into my old redemption hymn and I can see they wrote dozens in the Pentecostal revival in the first years of the, of the 20th century. Dozens of really good hymns. Because they were experiencing the Holy Spirit. They're writing about him. Oh, gracious spirit, dwell with me. I myself would gracious be. You know? I almost, I almost brought some to read. I thought, no, you could, short on time anyway, David. Spirit-filled people sing. You don't be Welsh to qualify. <laughs> Paul here mentions three kinds of songs. Psalms, they're found in the Bible, right? Easy. Hymns are songs we write, whether long or shorter of various structures. And there are some examples of early Christian hymns, even in the New Testament. I'm giving you a footnote. You can look up yourself and find some of the things we think may well be Christian hymns because of the way the Greek works. They they, they have meter or they rhyme. Spiritual songs are literally songs of the Spirit. You You just begin to think of something, you begin to sing it. Song of the Spirit. It's in the moment. It's inspired. It's prophetic. And sometimes it's such a good song, we pick it up and we turn it into a hymn. We save it for next week. We come back to that one. Because, hey, that was a good song. We want to sing that one again. Happened to me once. I sang out a prophetic song. And he sang years and years and years ago. We, we sang it for weeks. <laughs> it became a hymn or a chorus, so to speak, for a while. Yeah? People congratulated me on writing. I said, I didn't write it. I just... It just came to me, and I went, oh, go, okay, oh, well, oh, right, I'll try. (laughs) That's all. Songs of the Spirit, they are prophetic songs in the moment. Using all of those, we are to sing and make melody together from our hearts to the Lord. And if you're tone deaf, you can still make melody in your heart. (laughs) Make a joyful noise. 
Second one, be thankful. Oh, this is a missing gem in the Church of Christ. Always giving thanks for all, our thing, all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ of God, even the Father. Always giving thanks. Giving thanks at all times. Giving thanks in all things. I'm adding in some other things from other epistles there. Grace should produce gratitude and thanksgiving. And giving, generous giving too. Even when we know how to sing songs, it seems to me many of us find it difficult to find something to say when it's time to say something. Stop the song. Uh, Instead of coming from my heart, yes, Lord, I want to thank you. I want to praise you. I want to give you. You're so good to me. I thank you for doing that this week. I thank you for thank you for helping us on Friday. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. But it's not just a routine. Saying the same words, you know. And you notice that I don't I don't get into that with you. I don't kind of say something to you. You say something back to me. We do it all the time. Because I don't, I don't want to be just merely empty repeating things. I mean, you know me well enough to know by now that when, if I say hallelujah, I mean it. Yeah? It's not just a little verbal, verbal tick that you know, gets thrown in here and there. And when I say amen when someone said something or prayed something, I mean it. Because they're not just religious jargon. I don't use them like that. I choose not to. But having a heart that wants to say something back to God in thanksgiving, in praise. It's really important. But then also, be humble and submissive. That's how we treat one another. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Humility, submission, servanthood. It is within God, the Holy Trinity. The Son submits to the Father, the Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. It comes from the heart of God into us if we are open to the Spirit to teach us and show us. And out of reverence or fear to the Lord Jesus, we are to put these attitudes into action amongst us. Humility, submission, servanthood. The problem is, rebellion is written deep in the human heart. I can do as I like. Well, that may be true, but it's not wise and it's not good. It's a declaration of independence, rebellion against God and his wisdom and his purpose. Remember, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, we will begin to reflect the heart of God. We will be being transformed by the Spirit. We'll do what isn't natural to us, but we begin to like it and learn it, because it's good. Turn that to Jude for the last one. But the last but one book in our Bibles. Yep. Let's come back to pray in and with the Spirit. Jude says, Beloved... You, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was a prophetic word that came probably in the Jerusalem church and it went and spread to the other churches. They, they took it up and communicated it. Peter and Paul both referred to that prophetic word. They were saying this to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly minded. They are devoid of the spirit. They don't have the spirit of God. But beloved, building up yourselves. Build, let me read what's on the screen, David. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. 
It seems that that prophecy about there'll be mockers was not really talking about people in the world, but people in the church. That's how Jude writes about it. False believers. Maybe look good for a while, but they cause divisions. They're worldly-minded. They do not have the Spirit. But we are to build each other up in this holy faith in God through Jesus Christ. We're to encourage one another. We're to correct one another. We're to seek the highest good for one another. Does that mean we speak the truth? Yes, but we speak the truth in love. But we don't dodge stuff. Faith, of course, speaks not only of belief, but relationship with and obedience to God. People say, oh, I have faith. Well, James says, well, where is it? Where can I see it? You're saying it, but where can I see it? Faith has relationship with and obedience to God. We're to pray in and with the Spirit. That is relying upon his inspiration in prayer, which would include praying in unknown languages, but also praying prophetically in your own language. You think, where did I get that prayer from? Well, the Holy Spirit inspired it. Paul writes similarly in Ephesians. Further on from the verse to 5 we've been looking at and just after writing about the armour of God, Paul writes, and I've used the ESV here, praying at all times in the Spirit. It's like, it should be normal mode. Rather than thinking of... I'm really finding this difficult to pray. I better find some help from the Holy Spirit. No, try and make it your normal mode of prayer to be praying with the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Keep on praying, in other words, making supplication for all the saints. Praying in the Spirit. Keep ourselves together in the love of God. You notice it says keep yourselves, plural. Not just you keep yourself in the love of God, it's keep each other as well. Stay in the love of God. Stay where the love of God reaches you. We know when we've moved ourselves out from, outwards from God's light and God's love. We all know when we've done that, don't we? We feel it. And then when someone comes and suggests it, we get, we're all get, we're cross and angry, but we know we've moved away in our hearts and our affections. We're edging out of the light and we're no longer experiencing his love because of what we're doing. Attitudes, actions, associations. Stay where you know and experience his love and urge and encourage one another in doing this too. And in doing this, we look and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's meant there is particularly the Lord's return, but we can experience his mercy and at least some of that eternal life here and now. We live in the now and not yet of redemption. There's more ahead of us, but we can know his goodness and mercy in something of what the Bible calls the power of the age to come, time after time now. We do not have all kingdom. We do not have full redemption. But what we have now is more than enough for us here at this time. It's not just just enough. I know we sing a song that says just enough. I always think... It's more than enough. Christ is all you need. What's your question? So, Scripture says urgently to us all, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've defined and described what it is to be filled with the Spirit. You may have a different opinion. Well, that's all right. Go ahead with your definition. But are you still pursuing being filled with the Holy Spirit? Firstly, as an experience, as times moments, occasions, but then also as a lifestyle. Certain men were described in the book of Acts 
act as being men filled with the Holy Spirit. They were like that most of the time. Maybe they had their blue Mondays, I don't know. But most of the time, they were filled with the Spirit. Getting on with life under the hand of God. A lifestyle. We're going to look at that next week. Life in the Spirit. You need solid foundations of truth to keep you grounded. To live well for God. By the supply of the Spirit. And one last question before we pray. What choices and actions are you taking to obey the Lord's command to every one of us? Be filled with the Spirit. Because every word of God demands response from us. And the response that really isn't worth it is good job preacher. That's not not the response. Even if it was true. There's a a song, it's one of the last songs that... um, um, I see his his name. Gospel singer, one of the last songs he wrote before he died. It goes, Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen. God has spoken. Let the church say amen. What the Lord wants from your heart to his word is your amen. So be it, Lord. Let it start in me. Let it Continue through all of us. But we know what it is to be people who are filled with the Spirit again and again and as a lifestyle. And then we're not surprised when we come to some crisis or challenge because we know we can trust the Holy Spirit to give us exactly what we need no matter how fierce that confrontation or challenge may be. He will equip us. He'll give us words. He'll give us courage. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, that's the, my prayer, Lord, let the church say amen, that we all may receive your instruction to us. And even if we don't know, hardly know where to start, we say, yes, Lord, please, let it start. We open our hearts to you. Because we are intrigued by this this mechanism that Paul describes as the, of the Holy Spirit searching the deep things of God and making them come to us so they affect us and change us. We are motivated by the deep grace of God and the love of God and we even know something of the wisdom of God at times because the Holy Spirit is drawing from God himself and depositing things in us again and again and again. We pray not just for moments of experience, but for a a lifestyle of knowing the Holy Spirit and walking with the Spirit that is life-transforming. That we might be the children of God shining like the sun, like stars in a dark world. We want to stop complaining about the dark Lord and say, Lord, let there be more light in your people, in your children. We do not want to be those who rant at the world. We want to be, as Jesus called us, the light of the world. We want to be doing some good as well as declaring the gospel. We want to be the salt of the earth as well as those who talk about the gospel. 
And these things come from your heart, Father. We can't manufacture them. We'd be like trying to pick ourselves up by our own shoelaces. We pray, come, Holy Spirit, fill us and then work in our hearts all that is pleasing and honoring to God, all that reflects his wonderful nature of grace, mercy and truth. Oh, Father. I've stopped praying because I want you to take a moment to do, do, do your prayer. Thank you, Father. Blessed be your name.